Before you get too comfortable, uh, last week we passed out a bunch of books that have that next, next Up logo on it. There's two stacks of them in the back uh, on that uh, black table. So if you'd like one of those, uh, go ahead and grab it. If you wouldn't like one, but you're just in a mood to do what I say, uh, please grab that. That talks about what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Because from December of 23 to January of 25, uh, my prayer for us as a campus is that beyond tithes and offerings, so beyond the obedience part, uh, as a campus, we're able to raise $180,000 to do solar site repairs and hire some more staff here at Mountain View Sunnyside. So if you haven't already grabbed one of those, go ahead and do it. And I know that means you have to get up in the middle of the service and walk to the back. But seriously, the guy with the microphone is asking you to do it. So if you want one and you haven't gotten one yet, go ahead and grab one there in the back. They're white. They say, next up, what's in there? The first half of it is details about what all these projects are going to look like across all three Mountain View campuses. And the second half is a shape journal. So that's our church's way of Bible reading and journaling and taking our hearts into what God is doing and how God is leading us. So if you haven't grabbed one yet, go ahead and grab it. You could also grab it on the way out. Uh, this way, you've just got something to look through as I talk through everything. So where we were, yeah, sorry, where were we last week? We started looking at the book of Haggai. He's this guy right at the end of the Old Testament who he lived at a point where God's people had been taken from their homeland. So he grew up in Israel, the same Israel that's in the news today. That was God's chosen nation. That's why there's so much fighting over there. And over a few years of them deciding we no longer want to follow God. We don't want any part of God in our lives. We're going to do our own thing. God, you can stay on the outside. God just said, okay. Like, I'm going to give you what you asked for. And the result of that was an army from present-day Iraq, then called Babylon, came in and took away the best and the brightest and moved them from Israel back to Babylon. Babylon got overtaken by the Persians. It's just like when you move in somewhere and the person before left something really nice, you're not telling anyone. You're just like, this is mine now. So the Persians looked at all the Israelites who were living in their kingdom and they said, okay, these people, the best and the brightest, they're ours now. And what happened in the first year of the Persians taking over for the Babylonians was the king of Persia decided, I want my kingdom to look good again. So he started sending the best and the brightest from present-day Iraq back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And what this did, this was really exciting, was it answered so many prayers that were prayed in the decades leading up to that day. Because in the middle of the country running away from God, there was a remnant of people who were praying, God, we want to come back. Not just spiritually come back to the temple, or not just physically come back to the temple, we want to come back spiritually. We want this place to be full again, not just because numbers are good, but because that means that people are saying yes to a relationship with God. And so the temple was where God met with his people, and it had been broken down and torn down and just reduced to rubble for years. So King Darius decides we're going to make it good again. The best of the brightest went from Persia back uh, to Jerusalem to rebuild everything, and people were excited. The thing is, is that they got there, and they started the right work at the wrong address. So week one last week, we looked at Haggai uh, chapter 1, verse 4, where God says, how come everything in my temple looks torn down and broken and busted up, but your houses look amazing? Why do you live in luxury while my house lies in ruins? And where we're going to pick up from right now is where God ended that conversation and then started to go from why to how. How is this going to happen? 
And so we're in the book of Haggai. If you've got your Bible or paper and ink, you can go there. If you have no clue where this thing would be, uh, there's a little QR code on the bottom of the paper that you were handed as you walked in. Scan that with your smartphone. It'll take you to a website that has everything we're going to read today. And we're going to be in Haggai chapter 1, verse 12. It said, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shelatil, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of the Lord, house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21st in the second year of King Darius's reign. Chapter 2, then on October 17th of the same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, the temple, in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. So what's going on right here? is that they finally finished the work that God told them to do. They rebuilt the temple. But the thing is, is they're building it on a fraction of the manpower, a fraction of the freedom, and a fraction of the resources of what it had originally been built as. Which is no problem, really, if you've got no memory of how anything used to be. Because it's the best temple they've ever had. Like, like it's, it, from zero to one is still improvement. The thing is that there are people there in that temple that day when it was dedicated who remember what the old one was like. Because when Babylon came in and took the best of the brightest, they flattened the temple so there'd be no reason to stay in Jerusalem. And people who saw it flattened remembered what it was like. And they were there here now, decades later, watching the second temple being built. And their hearts were broken. Like they're looking at the temple thinking this is not the way that it should be. This is not the way that God's house should look. It doesn't shine like the old one. It's not big and amazing like the old one. It's not special like the old one. And what God tells them is, my spirit's here. Like don't be discouraged. My spirit is here. He says, I am with you, says the Lord. He's not saying, I'm with you only if stuff looks good. He's saying, I am with you. What we talked about last week was God changes lives through his people's lives. God changes lives through his people's lives. Like that, that's our standard for this, for you and me to come to know Jesus. For those of us in here who are Jesus followers, somebody else played a pretty big role in all of that happening. Someone was the, the pipe through whom God brought the good news into our lives. They didn't just keep it to themselves. God used them to impact us. And for those of you in here who aren't yet Jesus followers, chances are you're here because somebody else brought you here. Somebody else made an impact on your life, and that's how you got here. The reason is because God changes lives through his people's lives. And right here, what they're talking about, what happens is what we're looking at for the next few weeks in this and then for the next 14 months is part of how God does that is through obedient giving. Part of how God does that is through financial giving. We talked about it last week where God says, why do you live in luxurious homes when my house lies in ruins? And then his first action step was them. 
for them was to go up into the hills. The thing is that God created the hills. Just like God created your income and my income, 100% of what comes in is from God. No one in here is self-made. But instead, we're provided for by a God who is extravagant, and he loves us. So he says, go up into the hills, and while you're there, I want you to cut down the trees. They've only been there for two years. You can't grow a tree worth cutting down in two years. But the thing is, is God had put those trees there centuries before. I want you to cut down the trees, and I want you to bring them back into my temple. It's the same with our finances. 100% comes from God. 10% goes back to God through tithing. That's how God runs the churches, through the generosity and the obedience of his people. And then 90%, we manage wisely to provide for our needs, that God funnels money into our lives to provide for us and to provide for the work and the mission of his church. God changes lives through his people's lives. And what I want to talk about is the way that God uses that as a catalyst, as a vessel for your life and mine to be a blessing. Because God's blessing and obedient giving doesn't stop with money, it doesn't stop here, and it doesn't stop now. Let me say that again. God's blessing and obedient giving doesn't stop with money, it doesn't stop with here, and it doesn't stop with now. I think in, in our day and age, one of the things that the church gets painted with, that gets stained on us, that like it, it's the smell of, of someone who's wearing a whole lot of cologne. They leave and their, their smell doesn't really leave. Part of the smell of the church is that, hey, if you give this much money, God's going to bless you with this much stuff. And God's got something better for us than just like using him as a like spiritual vending machine where we put our money in, we shake it long enough, and then something good comes out. It's something better than that. He continues in verse 4. He says, but now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel, be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land, and get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt, so don't be afraid. God's saying that, that the first step of obedience, the first blessing that we get on the other side of obedience. He's not saying, I'm going to make the temple look beautiful. I'm going to make it shine like it used to. He says, no, no, no. The blessing is that my spirit is going to be with you. When they do what they were supposed to do, when they plant obediently, they're going to harvest. Hi, Mountain View. My name is... We're going to have a video in just a little bit. When we plant obediently, we're going to harvest generously. It's God's way to fill back into us what we empty out for him. And the thing is, is so often, he tells us that this is going to involve money, but it's not going to stay with money. I know all of our anticipation is just building so much. Let's see the rest of the video, right? Let's kill the lights. Let's roll tape. Let's see the rest of the video. Hi, Mountain View. My name is Colleen Alt, and I have the privilege of being the missions director here at Mountain View. And my story of tithing began when I was a little girl. I did not grow up in a Christian home, and so giving was just not something that we did. Um, we held on to our money like that, and that's kind of what I learned. So when I got married, I became a Christian, um, and it started being talked about. I just really didn't value it. I didn't really understand it. And so got married. Uh, we were missionaries in Kenya, and I remember even asking, do we 
we give? Do we tithe? And the missionary person was like, yes, we do. So I started tithing then, maybe not the right amount, but I remember just thinking that was important. Uh, we moved back and moved to Fresno in 98, and um, our church in Canada suggested that we go to this new church plant in um, called Mountain View. So we went here, and we were not giving. The reason we moved here was we were financially struggling. And so the first sermon that Pastor Fred gave was uh, to give, to be tithing um, and live under the open heaven. And so we were super convicted, went home, had a conversation, and from that day on, we started tithing. And it was amazing how the Lord started just <laughs> providing for us in miraculous ways. I remember one time getting a check in the mail um, that my mom had sent three years prior and it was all mangled and I called my mom I'm like mom what is this she goes oh yeah I forgot about that check and it was the amount that we needed and different times at work I would get um, a stipend that would provide for an oven that had went out so every single time that happened I remember we could pray with our kids and just remind them that the Lord is so faithful and we I would never not tithe again hope that encourages you have a great day God can use whatever he wants as a vessel for worship Part of the reason that he tells us to tithe is it opens up our finances to be a, bless, a blessing, to be a vessel of God to use his worship. So, I mean, I said it a little bit ago, part of our goal over the next 14 months is to raise $180,000 to pay for a bunch of stuff around here that will free us to, to vote more money toward resources, or toward more money towards ministry and not just to paying our energy bills. And the first step for us to get involved in that is to start tithing. Like the Bible tells us to tithe. We're going to talk about this a little bit more next week. But Jesus' method, Jesus' model for us using our money to worship God doesn't just start with giving how we feel like it. It's giving how God provides for us. Tithing is the first step in that. But we don't just give to get. We give out of obedience. We give out of worship. And what we get back isn't always the nice, new, shiny, big-wheeled thing that we see that the rest of the world looks good and, and other people have. God says, my spirit is going to be with you. We plant financial obedience and we harvest God's presence. We harvest God's generosity. The idea that if we give to God, we're going to have a nice, lush, luxurious life and everybody's going to envy us because we tithe and so somehow God's just going to pour all sorts of good things into our lives doesn't make it out of the first pages of the New Testament. There's this guy in the New Testament. His name is Jesus. He's a pretty important person in the Bible. He gives his life to God. He is God with skin on. And the idea that if you give a lot to God, God's going to give a lot of rich things to you doesn't fly with Jesus. Like his whole growing up period is marked by scandal and literally running for his life because the king wants to kill him. And then at the age of 30, he moves out of mom and dad's house. And some of you are thinking, that sounds just horrible on its own. But his whole life is devoted to God. Like, how is this blessed if you're staying at home till you're 30? And then he goes into ministry. His whole time in ministry, he's despised by the people in authority. Everybody's always out to get him. And then my favorite story, one of his friends dies and Jesus goes to be alone and mourn and the city finds out about it. And so everybody who needs a miracle in their life goes and finds Jesus on his personal day and they're like, hey, give all this stuff to me because I need it. Like that's not a picture of a blessed life. On your personal day, everybody shows up to get stuff from you. Then what happens? He goes back into ministry, keeps doing stuff, and then one of the people who's followed him for three years, one of his 12 closest followers, 
decides to turn him into the authorities for less than a day's wage of money. Like less money than you could make in a day, he turns Jesus over to be tortured. He's executed in front of his mom because he gave everything of his whole life to God. So the idea that if we give, we're going to get back financially, it doesn't work with the Bible. But what does work is that as we plant obediently, we're going to harvest generously because of God's spirit living inside of us. It's our verse for the year. As you walk out, there's a big canvas on the left right before you hit the, the, uh, the pad out front. And it's, it's our verse for the year. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's Jesus' promise to us that through everything in life, he's with us. It might not be rewarded to us financially, but what it will be rewarded to us in is God's spirit, God's love for you and me that surpasses everything. Because giving obediently, living in obedience doesn't just stop with money. I mean, we'd like it to, right? Because money just makes things easier. But it's part of God being in charge. For those of us in here who are Jesus followers, okay, when we became Christians, and for those of you who aren't, this is a truth for us with God, is that God sees the world. God sees you and me, and he loves us. It's not a decision. It's his nature. He loves you and me. And he understands within that love, just like we do, that there's separation between us and God because by nature and by choice, we are sinners. There's sin in my life. There's sin in your life. And that's why Jesus came. When Jesus came and lived his life in our world, in our skin, facing every same temptation that you and I will face, he did it to make us right with God. His life is the payment for our sin to the God who created us and the God who loves us. So when God looks at you and me, he no longer sees our sin. He no longer sees our past. He no longer sees the things that we've done that we know about and we want nobody else to know about. God sees Jesus' perfection that covers our sin. And so when we become Christians, when we pray to become Christians like somebody did for service right over there, we're saying we're not just asking for a new life. We're submitting to a new king. And Jesus is our new king. And when the king's in charge, the king gets to do whatever he wants, which means pouring blessing into our life, to your life and mine, however the king sees fit. The king owns everything. The king can do whatever he wants with his money. But he knows what's going to be best for you and for me. And so as we plant obediently, we're going to harvest generously from our king who loves us. Our money is going to turn into a vessel of worship. And whether our bank account goes crazy or it stays the exact same that it was before, it's our God who loves us, who knows what's best for us, who's going to provide everything that we need. Because it just doesn't stop with money. It also doesn't stop with here. It doesn't stop with here. Verse 6, it says, For this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, In just a little while I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will be brought into this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, said the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. What we plant here doesn't just stay here. I mean, one of the verses in the book in the back that takes us through the shape journal part, the very first verse on day one is Psalm 50, verse 12. It says this. 
Okay, it says uh, that, that the earth is the Lord and the land on, or everything on all the hills is mine and the hills themselves, they're mine. It all belongs to me. So we can harvest or we can plant locally and we can harvest globally because in God's economy, he changes currency. In God's economy, he takes U.S. dollars that are planted here and turns them into Mexican pesos and turns them into Japanese yen and turns them into Kenyan shillings. He's saying that out the whole earth, every, all the, the, the treasure everywhere is coming into my temple, and then it's going to go back out again because God's in charge of everything everywhere. We got a picture uh, that'll show up. It's of a white building and me in front of it. Cool. That, that's one of my favorite places. Uh, that is a Bible school that Mountain View built uh, because of our relationship with the people in Kenya uh, starting in 2005 and still going on. And in 2006, me and Anna and a group of people from Mountain View were there and we built the foundation for that. When we left, the building was nothing. We provided the foundation, which means we dug the holes and then we mixed the cement and then we filled the holes uh, so that eventually a Bible school could be built. When we left, there was just a bunch of holes and cement that we mixed. And then you fast forward 11 years, and they built the foundation, or they built the building, they put the roof on it, and then they used it to train pastors to go back into their villages uh, to tell people about Jesus. And so getting to teach in there, it was, it was like 11 years at that point of planting obedience and then getting to harvest a blessing where God changed the currency. Part of the blessing of us being North Americans is that God has disproportionately enabled us to make a difference here that has a large impact globally because dollars just travel better than anything else. We get to plant here and see it have a massive impact in other places around the world. But out of that $180,000 that we want to raise above tithes and offerings, the first thing that we're going to do with that is tithe off of it. Because we're subject to the same things. God tells us to tithe. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, you should tithe. So as individuals, we say yes. As a church, we say yes. So out of that 180,000, 10%, 18,000 is going out these doors right away. Because we're going to live in obedience to what God has told us. We don't want to just plant locally and harvest locally. We want to plant locally and harvest globally so that our obedience becomes a vessel for world change. It doesn't just stop with money. It doesn't just stop here. It also doesn't stop with now. We get, the present, we get to plant presently and harvest eternally. What he talks about in verse 7, I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. That's going to happen to all of us. Eventually, every single person in here is going to give everything that we have. That's when we die. Right? Nobody can take anything with us. It's not like you can jam your money into your casket or into the little crematorium like bucket with you. All of us are giving everything away. One day, everything's going out. And we can't take it with us, but what we can do is we can send it ahead. We can send stuff that we have here into heaven by investing our resources in simple obedience that God uses as a vessel of worship, as a vessel for world change, and a vessel for impact. Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 6. He's talking to a group of people that are just normal people. None of them are people of influence. None of them are the right, like, high in society. They're just normal people who gather to hear God's word, kind of a lot like us. And he says this in Matthew 6, 19. 
He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Okay, so what should we do? He continues, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And then he ends with this. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. We get to store up treasure in heaven with a compound interest of life change, of world effect, as we give out of how God has given to us. As we give out how God has poured into our lives, the 100% that comes in, the 10% that goes back, and then the 90% that gets lived with wisdom. Okay, it's Halloween week, so here's a phrase for us to remember, okay? Discipleship, that's the process of following Jesus, okay? He goes one way, and we go right behind him. But one day, all of us, our impact is going to stop. But teaching the people who follow you, the generations behind you, is zombie discipleship, all right? That means that our impact, our legacy, our behavior, our gifts, the things that we pass on, the things that we do that other people emulate, that lives on beyond you and me. We might be dead, but our influence is rising from the grave with eyes that look really weird and continuing to make a difference. It's zombie discipleship for you and me. Anna and I tithe. Okay, so that 10%, 100% comes in, 10% goes back. We've done that since we very first got married. And individually, we did that before we got married. The reason why we did it is because of the impact on our parents' lives and then that on our lives by people who are now dead. Their impact has outlived them. Their impact is undead, even as their physical bodies have gone to be with Jesus. For us to plant presently and harvest eternally starts with us passing on things, sending treasure ahead by training the next generation to love and follow Jesus about how we handle money. Like you look around and nobody's got a good handle on this, but God tells people, store up your treasure in heaven where moths can't get in, where thieves can't steal, where rust isn't going to ruin it. Because where your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be, and I will take care of it. It's God's promise to us. It's God's blessing to us. And what's the biggest blessing that he promises most of all is his presence. This is going to be how he ends today. So far today, it's been a lot of stuff to do. So far today, it's been a lot of risk. It's been a lot of awkwardness talking about money and I, uh, but the truth is, is that God wants more from us than just what we're able to kick out, just what we're able to respond with in action. He wants our hearts. That's why he told the people who built the temple, and they're like, it's not shiny like it used to. And God says, I don't care because I don't want the shine. I want your heart. We're going to respond today. We're going to end today by asking the Lord to speak to us, by asking God to give us a word to strengthen us, to build us up, to encourage us. Because more than just being a fundraiser, more than just being our money manager, more than just being the church accountant, God's our shepherd. And the shepherd cares for his sheep. The shepherd knows his sheep. Sheep hear his voice. And the shepherd has something good for them. And today I believe that God has good things for us. As he calls us and draws us into obedience, part of the reason why he's doing it is because he's the one in charge who knows what you and I need to hear today. Who knows where we need to be encouraged today. Who knows where we need to be built up. Who knows where we need fresh faith for the road that's ahead of us. 
in our financial life, in every part of our life. He knows what we need to hear today. And the God of the universe wants to encourage us, wants to speak to us. So the people on the side, they'll ask you your name, and then they'll listen. What does the Lord want to say to you today? And if you're thinking, man, this is going to be bad, this is going to be rough, no, nah, it's going to be the word of the Lord for you today to strengthen you, to encourage you, and to build you up because God loves you and God wants to work in your life and wants to speak to you today. So let's stand and pray.